Well, welcome back, everybody. We're glad that you could be here today. Yeah, good to see everybody. Yeah. I want to welcome everybody watching us via the stream, and I also want to welcome everybody watching us on TV as well. We're glad that you've taken some time to allow us to be a part of your life. We're in the middle of a series called Fake It or Fix It. We're talking about different areas of our life that we can't afford to fake anymore. And last week, we talked about our relationship with God. If you weren't here for that, you didn't hear that message, you need to download the Sagebrush app, and you need to watch that message. A lot of people miss salvation by 12 inches. They know about God, but they don't have a relationship with Him. They don't live for Him. They don't love Him. They don't follow Him. They don't adore Him. They think because they said some little prayer at some point in time that they're good with God. There's so much more to a relationship with Jesus than just doing something like that. So make sure you download the app and watch the first week of the message. Now today we're going to talk about making sure we don't fake it with our life. I think everybody here uh, would want to have a life that makes a significant impact, but I think a lot of people somewhere along the way, they kind of settle in life. Let me, let me start off by telling you a story about a guy by the name of Charlie. Uh, Charlie went and got himself a PhD in English, spent all those years going to school. When he graduated, he got a job at a university teaching an English class. He lasted for three weeks. After three weeks, he said, every time I got in front of those students, I felt like part of me was dying, so he quit his English class. Now, can I talk to the parents here for just a second? You've just paid for all those years of college and master's work and doctorate work, and now your child is saying to you, I don't want to do that. You spent thousands and thousands of dollars. Well, the mom and the dad, they were very concerned. They were a little upset about the money that was spent, but they were more concerned about the future of their son. They knew that he had a friend by the name of Tony. He was a little bit older, kind of a mentor to their son. And so they talked to him on the phone, said, could you please talk some sense to Charlie, make sure he knows what in the world he's doing with the rest of his life. And Tony said, I'd be glad to do that. And so they set up a time, and they, and they sat down, they, they got together, and, and uh, Tony said, well, what, what, what's going on? And again, Charlie said the same thing. He said, when I got up there to teach that class, I just felt like I was dying. And then he said this, he said, I figured out that I could fake it for the rest of my life. I could just fake going to that class day after day, week after week, and act like everything was fine, everything wonderful. When I was dying on the inside, he said, I just knew I had to fix it. I had to do something different with the trajectory of my life. I knew this wasn't what God had for me to be about for the rest of my life. And so Tony said, well, okay, 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 you've convinced me. That's, that's fine, but what's your game plan? And Charlie said, well, I've become a mailman. He said, what? You're a Ph.D. in English mailman? And Charlie laughed and said, yeah, there's not too many of us, is there? He said, but I'm a, I'm a terrible mailman. Tony said, you gotta, you got to be kidding me. You, you just gave up a Ph.D. in English, gave up a great university job, and now you tell me you want to be a mailman, but you're a terrible mailman. Why are you a terrible mailman? He said, well, everybody else gets done with their route around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, but I don't get done till 5.30 or 6.00. Tony said, Charlie, what takes you so long for you to get done with your route? He said, well, there's a lot of people in my route that need visiting. They, they like to talk, and I like to spend some time with them. And he said, I've got another problem, Tony. And Tony said, what's your problem? He said, I can't sleep at night. He said, why can't you sleep at night? He said, well, you try to sleep at night after you've drank 20 cups of coffee. It'd be difficult to sleep. Can you see this guy? Going from house to house, mailbox to mailbox, talking to those who are lonely, those who are hurting, talking to the widow, talking to the troubled teenager. He's doing mail work in a way that's never been done 
before. He's caring about and he's ministering to every single person. Now, fast forward 10 years. Let me tell you the rest of the story. 10 years, Charlie's been working in the exact same neighborhood. He's the only mailman that I know that the people he delivers mail to every year on his birthday rents the recreation center down the street, and they have a birthday party for him. And everybody shows up. Why do they do that for this guy? Because in that neighborhood, Charlie represents Jesus. And everything he says and everything he does and every life that he affects and every person that he listens to and every broken heart that with the power of God tries to put that heart together, he's being Jesus to those people. He's making an impact. He's making a difference. And he's living his best life possible. All because he decided not to fake it anymore, but he wanted to fix it. Henry Thoreau was right, wasn't he? When he said, men lead quiet lives of desperation, there are so many people that wanted to make a difference with their life. They wanted to be fully alive. They wanted to make an impact in their, in their world. And somewhere along the way, they just kind of settled. And so today I want to talk to you about how not to settle with your life, to live the life that God placed inside you to live. See, not only did, did, did Jesus save you for the eternity by providing a place for you in heaven because of the precious blood of Jesus, but he also wants you to live an abundant life here here on this earth today. So how in the world do we do that? We're going to look at a guy in the Old Testament. Maybe you've heard this name before. His name is Jabez. You may, if you've heard that name before, it's because you read a book years ago called The Prayer of Jabez. If you've never heard that book, you've never probably heard about this guy because his story is found in First Chronicles, and most of you have never read First Chronicles. I'm just going to be honest. Let's just keep it real, right? Because in the first six chapters of First Chronicles is the genealogy of the people of Israel. You ever own these passages of Scripture? I hate to say this, it's one of the most boring passages of Scripture in all the Bible. Because it goes like this. He begat, then he begat, then he begat, and before long you forgot what you just read. Do you understand what I'm talking about right now? 600 names down, God pauses and gives two verses of Scripture to this guy named Jabez. And inside these two verses, we find the secret to living a significant life, and it's all found in Jabez's prayer. Let's look at it together. This is what the Bible says. There was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than any of his brothers. His mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And God granted him his request. All right, I'm going to give you three keys to living a significant life. Write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, Jabez wanted his life to matter. He wanted this. This wasn't some passing fancy. This was the goal. He wanted his life to matter. He wanted to live a significant life. Now, for this next section, let's go over to the big board so you understand what I'm talking about. This comes from Rick Warren. Rick Warren says that there are three levels to living life, and I think he's probably accurate. The lowest level of living is what we call the survival level. 
And there are literally, aren't there, millions and millions of people who live on this level. In the words of Loverboy, they're working for the weekend. Remember that song? Everybody's working. Okay, anyway. So survival level is what we're looking at there. This is the person living paycheck to paycheck. This is the person looking for the next thrill, the next exciting thing. But it's just really just trying to survive day by day by day by day. That's the lowest level of living. God doesn't want that for anyone. Let me give you the next level of living. That's the success level of living. This is the American dream. This is the one that's full of all the P's. Possessions, pleasure, popularity, and power, right? That's what it's all about. That's what we seek after. We get up in the morning trying to figure out how we can accumulate a little bit more. It's, it's more than just keeping up with the Joneses. It's blowing the doors off of the Joneses as you blow by them in your brand new car. It's all about the bigger house. It's all about the nicer stuff. It's all about the bling, cha-ching. A lot of people live on that level. That's what they think life is all about. You know what's unfortunate about this level is that they never realize that 100 years from now, no one's going to care a lick about what they had. That a hundred years from now, all the stuff that they fought and they sweat and they did everything they could to acquire won't matter. It's all going to end up in a landfill. Now, there's a third level to living that I think everybody wants to live, and that's a level of significance. And let me tell you what's interesting about this level. It doesn't matter how much money you make to live a life of significance. You can be a poor person and live a life of significance. You can be a rich person and not live a life of significance. Because living a life of significance has nothing to do with how much money you make. It's all about your desire to be used by God and stretched by God and leveraged by God to advance the kingdom of God in ways that were never dreamed possible before you came on this earth. It's this idea deep down in your heart and your soul that you've got to be used by God in such a way that you leave this world in better shape than the way that you found it. Now, let's look at the prayer of Jabez. One of the first things he prays for is he says, Oh, Lord, enlarge my territory. Now, we read that through the American lens, right? So what he wants, he wants more stuff. He wants more success. He wants more bling, cha-ching. You don't understand the Old Testament mindset. He doesn't want more property because he wants more money. In the Old Testament, when a person owned property, they were taking on a tremendous responsibility. And when the more property you had meant the more influence that you had in that community. So what's Jabez praying for? He's saying, God, make me more influential. Put me in a position where I can impact as many people as I possibly can for your kingdom and for your glory. Oh, God, not for me, but help me to leverage everything that you've given me to showing people how amazing and awesome and powerful you really are. Oh, God, that you may enlarge my territory. Now, now here's the question. I'm going to give you a little exercise. Let's just play along here for a second. And let's see if you and I are truly living a significant life. Came across a little exercise that I think will be very significant for you. Get this from Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey says that we should imagine, if we want to live a significant life, we should imagine going to a a, a funeral, at a funeral home. Now, it sounds a little morbid. I I, I get that. But I want you to just kind of close your eyes for a second. I want you to imagine you're driving down the street. You're going to this funeral. You pull into the parking lot. You park your vehicle. 
You then walk into, you know, the funeral home, and, and, and there's the side over here. There's two chapels, and you go to the side of the funeral that you're supposed to attend, and there's quite a few people there. There's a long line, and so you, you get into the line because for some reason we have to give condolences, of course, to the family, and then we've got to walk past the casket. Don't you always think that's kind of weird that we've got to walk past the casket? And so you're getting ready to walk past the casket. Just imagine that in your mind. You walk past the casket, and you look down there, and it's you. You're laying there in the casket. And you realize suddenly that this is your funeral three years from now. This isn't your normal funeral anymore, is it? And so you go in the back and you grab one of those paper programs that they give you, the real small program. You flip it open and you say, what in the world's going on here? And you notice they got a really nice service plan. And there's several people that are going to share about your life. There's, there's a family member that's going to share about your life. And there's friends that are going to share about your life. And so you, you, you sit down because you're kind of curious. Like, you know, what are they going to say about me? Well, let me ask you a question. If you were to die three years from now and you were attending your own funeral, what would they say about you? Would they talk about how you had a smile that could light up a room? Oh, had a smile that could light up a room. Yay. Would they talk about how your laugh was so contagious? Oh, I just love their laugh. <laughs> Seriously? I don't know, they'll probably talk about your golf game, right? No, they'll talk about your favorite football team. If you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, they say, oh, it's too bad he died so soon. He didn't get to see him win a Super Bowl ever again. We'll talk about your hobbies, your love for shoes, or a million other stupid things that didn't matter to anything. Let me ask you, friend, will there be anybody to get up there and say, if it wasn't for this person, I wouldn't be going to heaven right now? They helped me, they mentored me, they believed in me, they invested in me. They prayed for me. My goodness, I know my friend is here in this casket. But I know that he's in heaven. And I, I know that one day I'm going to be with him again. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the day I breathe my last breath, I'll breathe my first breath in heaven. And I know that my friend will be there to give me the guided tour. Because he's the one who invested in me. He's the one who changed my life. You going to have anybody like that? Anybody who's going to say, man, my life was changed. My life was different because this person invested in me. This person cared about my eternity. This person loved me enough to, to come alongside me and help me to be everything that God created me to be. Or are they just going to talk about, you know, your laugh and that you like shoes? And that you had a lot of memorabilia around the house. Are you living a significant life? Let me ask you something. Do you, do you think God placed us on this earth just to survive? Paycheck to paycheck, week to week. And, and do you honestly think that he put us on this earth just to accumulate as much as we could? To out-accumulate somebody else along the way and ignore the, the loss, ignore the needs, ignore, ignore what's going on in our world today and not be leveraged for his kingdom? You, you say, Todd, you, you, you've got my attention because you know what? I, I, I just, 
I haven't impacted that many people. And I wouldn't even know how to start. And, and I really don't love my job. And I, I, how do I even leverage these things for the kingdom of God? We say around here all the time, where your passion and your abilities collide, that is your sweet spot. Who put the passion inside your soul? It was God. Who gave you those abilities to do things really well? It was God. Where you find your passion and your abilities collide, that is your sweet spot. Let me give you some questions to kind of drive out your, your passion just a little bit. First question is this. What kind of impact do you dream about making? See, Jabez had a great dream. He wanted to be leveraged for the kingdom of God. He thought that thing through. He prayed that thing through. There was a dream inside of his heart and inside of his soul. So if I was to stop you in the hallway, if I was to stop you in the community, and I just ask you the question, what kind of impact do you dream about making? What in the world would you say to that question? Let me give you another one. What excites you and gets you fired up? What is always running around in your mind over and over and over again? How about this one? Where does your mind keep going back to? These things show you what your true passion really is. And then when you find your passion, then you look at what am I really good at? What are the abilities that God has placed within me? And how do those two things come together? Now, here's what's interesting. Most people think that the only time that God smiles upon their life is when they're doing something spiritual. You know, when we're reading our Bible or when we're praying or we're telling somebody about Jesus, those are the only times that God smiles. That's not true. When you're in your sweet spot, when your passion and your abilities collide and you're closing that deal, God smiles. When you're in your sweet spot and your passion and your abilities come together and you're teaching that class, God smiles. When your passion and your abilities, and you have the ability to sing a beautiful song and you're passionate about that song and that song impacts the lives of other people, you found yourself in your sweet spot. Now, I understand it's got to be where your passion and abilities collide. Because if you only have passion and no ability, that's a recipe for frustration and vice versa as well. Let me, let me explain. My dad was an electrician, and he was a great electrician, 40 years. When they had an issue where they needed to remodel something, my dad was the one that went in to gut everything and to rewire everything. He was awesome at it. For 40 years, he was really good. He had the ability, but he hated it, hated going to work. I remember as a little kid sitting on the steps as he was putting his shoes and his socks on to get ready to go out for the day, and I would just hear him bellyache about how he had to go to work. He, I mean, he wanted to provide for the family, but he would love to find anything else to do rather than do that work. To the moment that he retired early, he couldn't wait to get out of that job. And as a kid, I thought that you had to hate your work. I thought, well, one day I'm going to graduate, get a diploma somewhere, and I'm going to go do a job, and I'm going to hate every single second of it because that's the way it was for my dad. Oh, he was good at it, but he had no passion for it. The vice, vice versa is the people who have a passion for something, but they're not any good at it. You ever seen American Idol? You, know, you understand what I'm talking about right now? Those people get up there, and they're passionate about singing. They think they're the greatest singers ever because mama and daddy told them they were awesome singers. 
And so they get the golden ticket, right? And somehow they get to go on the TV show, and then we get to listen to them all of America. We're like, what in the world was that? It's like a cat thrown into a you know, coffee grinder. You know, that's what it sounds like. Not to say there's anything wrong with that, but that's what it is. I'm just messing. Don't do that to your cat, okay? That would be important. They have a passion for it, but they don't have the ability to pull it off. And that's a recipe for frustration, not only for themselves, but for everybody else around them, except for mom and dad, of course. Some of you are younger, and you're in college right now, or you're thinking about going to college, and you can't decide which kind of degree that you should get. I found this in the California newspaper. Maybe this will help you out just a little bit. If you graduate with a science degree, you're normally asked questions, why does this work? Science degrees, why does this work? If you graduate with an engineering degree, you ask questions, how does this work? If you graduate with an accounting degree, you ask questions like, how much will it cost? And if you graduate with a liberal arts degree, you ask, would you like fries with that? Fifty percent, this is according to Princeton University, 50% of people who go to work every day hate their jobs. Do you realize how much time in your lifetime you spend at your job? And most people are doing a job they can't stand because their passion and their abilities haven't collided. And here's the real kicker. They haven't figured out how, when they finally get to the job where their passion and their abilities collide, how they can leverage it for the kingdom of God. Because I know people who go to work, and they love it, and they're good at it, but they don't do anything for the kingdom of God. It's all about that success level. It's all about building their castle of mud. It's not about leveraging all they are and all they hope to be for the kingdom of God. We're so different from Jabez. Jabez says, first things first, if you would just increase my property so I could have greater influence, so I could make your name great, because it's not about making my name great, it's about making your name great. Is that true in your life? Let me give you the second thing about his prayer. Jabez was willing to overcome whatever obstacle stood in his way to live a significant life. You gotta want it. You gotta want it because a significant life doesn't come easy. What obstacles did Jabez have? Well, to start with, his name meant pain. It says they named him Jabez because he was painful in childbirth. How would you like your name to be pain? You know, everywhere you go, you know, your mom calls you in, pain, get in here, you're such a pain. Boy, I named you right, you pain in the neck. You're a pain, that's what you are. It was a constant reminder that even his mother regretted his birth. One of the things I love about this guy's prayer is he refused to let the labels that somebody else placed upon him limit his effectiveness to live in the life that God had for him to live. And too many people, they, they see obstacles in front of them, and they, they see the life that they want to live, but they know what's going to be hard, they know it's going to be difficult, it's going to be sacrificed, and they quit before they even try. Write this down if you're taking notes. There's three kinds of people in the world today. You ready for it? Excusers, accusers, and choosers. You've met all of them. Maybe you've done all three of them. I know I have. There's the excuser. This is the person who always has an excuse as to why they can't be used by God. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too tall. I'm too short. I'm too fat. I'm too skinny. It's too hard. I'm not smart enough. I've tried that before and it didn't work. I wasn't given the same opportunities as other people. They always have a reason. They always have an excuse to not try. And then there are the accusers. I call them the blamers. They blame everybody else for their lot in life. 
Why can't they overcome? Why can't they be significant? Why can't they do something great with their life? Well, it's always somebody else's fault. My, my, my dad was too hard on me. My mama didn't encourage me enough. My boss doesn't give me the same opportunities that he gives other people. My teacher picks on me. They always have someone to blame, whether it's their spouse, whether it's their kids. And when it comes to their job, I don't have anybody to mentor me. How can I succeed when no one will invest in me? Invest in yourself. Invest in what God has placed inside of you. Rise above. There's these excusers that make an excuse for everything. They're accusers that blame everybody else. You ever think about the word blame? It means be lame. Do you understand that? When you blame, you're being lame. Then there's the choosers. Come hell or high water, me and God's going to get through this together. God didn't bring me this far. Let me fall now. There's this burning passion inside your heart and inside your soul with what must be and what could be and what should be with the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you you realize that you are more than an overcomer that the same God who parted that Red Sea is the same God who lives inside of you the same God who allowed Peter to walk on water will give you a shot to walk on it as well the same God who created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh can create that dream that he's placed inside of you to actually become a reality. But nothing worthwhile is ever going to be easy. you got to face your fear. you got to face the obstacle. And you have to overcome it. Let me give you the third thing that will help you out. Jabez asked God to protect him. He said, keep me from all trouble and all pain. That's a good prayer, isn't it? Why does he pray for that? I want you to listen to me. Ready? If you decide to go for a significant life, you will be hammered. There will be people who will shake their heads at you because you will be making decisions on a different scale than they make decisions on. You'll be making decisions based on heaven's standards and not the standards of this world. And there will be people in the cheap seats that will hurl their insults at you and accusations at you. And they will criticize you. And they will try to rob you of your dream. They'll do everything in their power to make you believe that you are less than than what God's called you to be. Don't you dare listen to them. At some point in time. You have to get to the place in your life where the only voice that matters is the still, small voice of God that's calling you to something greater. And when you can define it, when you understand where your passion and your abilities collide and you understand how you can leverage it for the kingdom of God, you become a mighty force. Satan begins to sweat. When you get up in the morning, he begins to tremble in fear. He goes, oh, we go watch out now. So-and-so is up right now. We go, watch out right now. And I think most of us we don't even come on the radar of all this spiritual stuff. Because we're just so into surviving, or we're so into success, and we're just no threat. 
but what, what if we looked at life differently? What if we leveraged it all for him? What if we tried to figure out how we could do even more, even greater things for his kingdom? Well, maybe we'd have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Maybe there'd be a little spring in our step. And maybe every time we had an obstacle that came in front of us, we'd say, that's all right. I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through him. Nothing is impossible with the Lord. I'll keep on moving on. He will lead me and guide me, and he will help me. He will be my shelter and my refuge and my strength. It's that that resiliency. It's It's that defiant faith that says, I don't care what comes against me. God is greater still. When you start tuning yourself into the still, small voice of God, then you start making decisions based on what he would have you to do. And you start doing some of the craziest things that nobody else would do, but you do them because you believe that's what God has you to do. I was reading a book by uh, David Platt. The book's name is Radical. And in the book, he tells a story. He was preaching on the rich young ruler. You you remember the story of the rich young ruler. Comes to Jesus one day, says, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And he comes to him, and Jesus you know, kind of plays along with him and says, you know, obey the commands. And the guy says, which ones? And he, he just kind of figure out what's the minimal that he's got to do to be a, you know, a follower of Jesus. And Jesus didn't have any of that, and he knows what's going on in this guy's heart. He says, I'll tell you what, what you're really worshiping, what you really care about is your riches, your money. Go sell everything you got and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. And the Bible says that the man went away sad because he had great wealth. It's the only person that Jesus asked him to do this. Because that was his God, that was what he worshipped, that's what he bowed down to. So David was preaching on that, and he was talking about leveraging your life for the kingdom of God. He had an appointment with a guy who came to his office the following week after he preached on that passage of scripture. And the guy sat down across from him behind his desk, and he, he said, uh, David, I've been listening to you talk for the last few months, and i got to be honest with you, I think you're kind of crazy for some of the things that you say. He said, but me listening to what you have to say now makes me think that I'm a little bit crazy because I think you're right. He continued on. He said, I own this huge house, and this, there's wings of this house. We haven't even gone into them over a year. And I feel like the still small voice of God is telling me to sell that house and to leverage those monies for the kingdom of God to help people along the way. And and then he said this, I wrote it down. He said, I wonder at some point if I'm being irresponsible or unwise, but then I realize there's never going to come a day when I stand before God and he looks at me and says, I wish you would have kept more for yourself. I'm confident God will take care of me. See, that's a different way of looking at life, right? Leveraging everything he is for the kingdom of God. He wants that significant, significant life. There was a doctor, and he wanted to go to the South Pacific. He had heard about a small island that didn't have any medical care. He was a surgeon. felt like he could do a lot of good in a place where there wasn't any medical care. And so he packed up his practice and sold all of his stuff, and he headed for this small little island, and he set up a little shop, a little makeshift surgery room and a little exam room in this makeshift hut that they had. He had been there about seven, eight months, and... His pastor decided to go and visit him, and so he flew to that small little South Pacific island, un- unaware, you know, what was going on. The surgeon didn't know he was coming. On that particular day, there was an eight-year-old little girl who needed surgery. Surgery would take about three hours, and the pastor waited outside looking through the window as the man performed the surgery. When he got done, he went over to the family and said, she's going to be okay now. And then the 
they went off for lunch and we're sitting on the beach that afternoon. And the pastor said, I got to ask you a question. If you did that surgery in the States, how much money would you get? He said, I don't know, $3,000. He said, What do you get here? He said, A few cents and the smile of God. And then he said, This, man, this is living. You living? Or are you just leading a life of quiet desperation? What are they going to say at your funeral? Maybe more importantly, what do you want them to say? Some of us are sitting here today. You're at home. You're in this room. And you're thinking, you know what? I dreamed of greater dreams. God placed bigger things inside of me. And somewhere along the way, I've settled for less than. Friends, the first thing you got to get straight is your relationship with Jesus Christ. you got to make certain that you know him and that he knows you. And that you love him with every fiber of your being. That you understand that he loved you so much that he died on the cross and that he rose again from the dead so he could have a relationship with you. So he could help you into the most significant life possible. And if you don't have that figured out, you need to call me right now or you need to text me. And at the end of this service, you need to go over to the first steps room and you need to talk to a pastor. Because the first step to living a significant life is know who in the world are you living the significant life for. Because you don't live it for yourself. You live it for Jesus. You live it for the kingdom of God. Some of you have given your life over to Jesus and you've never followed him in baptism. Friends, how are you going to follow him into more significance if you won't even do the, the, the smallest act of obedience, which is to be baptized? And we're doing a big baptism celebration in September. You can call me. You can text me. You can go to the first step room and they will set up your baptism for the big baptism celebration. And don't worry about COVID getting you. We've got a sanitation system of baptism that's going to blow your mind okay you want to live a significant life sit down with the Lord and say God what did you put in me what do you want from me and how can I leverage my passion and my abilities for something greater than myself let me pray for you right now dear Heavenly Father I pray Lord that we would seek your face and we would seek the life that you want us to live. That we wouldn't settle for anything less than your best. Lord, I know that there's a lot of people who are just frustrated with life. And they've been faking it. People say, hey, how's it going? Oh, everything's great. Everything's fine. Everything's wonderful. But they're miserable. And this isn't the life that they thought they would lead. This isn't what they thought they would leverage themselves for. So God, I pray that they would get along with you. And that through the power of your still, small voice, that you would show us what you've placed within us. That you would affirm us in the direction that you would have us to go. And then, God, I pray that you would open doors for us to walk through. So we could live the best version of ourselves that you created us to be. God, please. 
we don't want to live a life of quiet desperation, just surviving or shooting for success. Help us, Lord, to leverage everything we are for all that you are. Help us to live that significant life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, stand with me if you would. I would say turn to someone you don't know and make a new friend, but we can't do that anymore. So that, that, sneak out quietly, would you? I'm just kidding. Have a great day, guys. Live a significant life. Have a good one.